Well, today I want to kind of continue on. We celebrated Mother's Day last week, and I wanted to go into uh, a message on parenthood. And uh, if uh, you're a kid in here today, trust me, this will give you a lot of ammunition for your parent. Do I have the young people's attention this morning? I think I do. They all went to J-12. Is that how that works? No, it's not ammunition, but I promise you this. Uh, it'll help you to understand one day what kind of parent you're supposed to be. So while uh, some of you may not have kids yet, uh, one day you probably will. And uh, as a result of that, this message will uh, do you a lot of service if you listen and take it in. Before I get into our text this morning, I did want to read a, a few um, stories just to reflect on, uh, if you will, one that will speak of a father, another one that speaks of a mother, and then uh, the third one speaks of a babysitter because, um, you know, babysitters are important too. All of us leave our kids with somebody at some time or another, right? And uh, they watch our children for us. So I'm going to share these stories and then we'll get into our text and, and learn a little bit from the word this morning. This story is called Mommy's Way. It says, a man went to the store with his three-year-old daughter in tow. Since he was just there to grab some essentials like milk and bread, he opted to save time by not pushing a cart around in the store. The three-year-old said, that's not the way Mommy does it, his daughter informed him. He says, I know, dear, but Daddy's way is okay, too, he replied. Leaving the store in the rain and without a cart, he carried the bag of groceries, his daughter, and the milk quickly to the car. Not wanting to set anything down on the wet ground, he set the jug of milk on top of the car. He efficiently whisked open the car door with his now free hand, scooted the groceries in, and set his daughter in the car seat with one swift motion. Then he hopped in himself. That's not the way mommy does it, his daughter informed him again. Honey, there's more than one way to do things, he replied patiently. Daddy's way is okay too. As they pulled out and headed down the street, he became aware of the, of the scraping sound on the roof as the jug of milk slid down the length of the rooftop, bounced off the trunk, then splattered on the ground, sending forth, a white, mil sending forth white milk in every direction. In a millisecond, he took the process, or excuse me, he took to process his mistake. His daughter looked at him and in the most serious voice said, that's not the way mommy does it. <laughs> so that's for all of us fathers when uh, our children say to us, that's not the way mommy does it. Uh, this one's for moms, if you will. I think it's uh, pretty witty, you know, from this child. One day, a little girl was sitting and watching her mother do the dishes at the kitchen sink. She suddenly noticed that her mother had several strands of white hair sticking out in contrast on her brunette head. She looked at her mom and inquisitively asked, why are some of your hairs white, mom? Her mother replied, well, every time that you do something wrong and make me cry or unhappy, one of my hairs turns white. The little girl thought about this revelation for a while, then said, Mama, how come all of Grandma's hair is white? <laughs> Hallelujah. 
Parents, the lesson in that one is be careful what you say to your kids, man. This one's for the babysitter. All too often, we'll get a babysitter and we don't give them enough information. And this one reflects upon the importance of informing your babysitter of everything they need to know. A young man agreed one time to babysit uh, for a single night for a mother who could have an evening out. At bedtime, she sent the youngsters upstairs to bed and settled down, or excuse me, he sent the youngsters upstairs to settle down and watch a football game. One child kept creeping down the stairs, but the young man kept sending him back up, go back to bed. At 9 a.m., the doorbell rang. It was the next-door neighbor, Miss Brown, asking whether her son was there. The young man briskly replied, no. Just then, a little head appeared over the banister and shouted, I'm here, Mom, but he won't let me go home. <laughs> oh, praise God. I don't know if you've had any of those stories before, but, uh, you know, they ring true, don't they? Very true. Uh, if you'll turn, uh, it will be on the screen, but if you have your Bibles and you want to turn to 1 Thessalonians 2, and we're going to take a look at 1 Thessalonians 2, 10 through 12. You are our witnesses, and so is God, that our conduct towards you who believe was pure right and without fault you know that we treated you each of each one of you just as a father treats his own children we encouraged you we comforted you we kept urging you to live the kind of life that pleases God who calls you to share in his own kingdom of glory oh excuse me kingdom and glory uh, Paul started the Thessalo uh, the church in Thessalonica if you will, on his second missionary journey. And unfortunately, he wasn't able to stay long because once he started it, they say it was approximately three weeks that Paul was there to start that church. It took him three weeks to get that going. And he had to get out of Dodge because people started getting mad at him and he was facing a lot of conflict, so he had to leave there. But later on, what he does is he sends Timothy back to check on that. If you remember, Timothy was a son to Paul in the ministry, and he sends Timothy back there to check things out and to bring back a report. Upon Timothy's arrival, he brings a good report to Paul that the faith was growing in people's hearts in Thessalonica. And so um, at that, Paul sits down, and what he does is he begins to write a letter to the Thessalonians. Paul uses, if you will, in this passage a illustration of how he was like a parent, like a father to them. Now, his intent wasn't necessarily to address parenthood, but it was to address the way that he was with them so that they would recognize what true ministry looks like. True ministry, if you will, we have a heavenly father who has given his only begotten son that whoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Let's put it this way, have everlasting life relationship with the father and one day we get to be in his house forevermore right a mansion made in heaven isn't that right a, a a paradise where we'll dwell with God and he says in revelation that he shall be our God and we will be his people and that in that we will forever be together and it won't just be worshiping this unknown God that we have a faith in our heart that the Holy Spirit produces but we will actually be able to see him and the Bible declares that we will know him just as we are known. God knows everything about us. Nothing is hidden. How often have you thought, man, I wish I could just really like see God. 
Who's done that? In your, in your walk with God, it's like, I'd like to just see him. You know, like, if you will, the manifestation of that uh, uh, physical being, if you will, that there is a, it can be touched, that there's substance to it. Uh, if you think about Timothy, um, or excuse me, uh, Thomas in the Gospels, when he says, I will not believe it unless I put my fingers in the nail holes in his hands and put my hand in his side. And when Jesus appears, he, he walks through a wall, if you will. So can you walk through a wall if your substance? Kind of hard, isn't it? He walks through the wall, so he, he penetrates that. He's not substance, and then he's all of a sudden substance that Thomas can feel. There's oftentimes in my walk with God, I've thought, man, I wish I could just see Jesus like that. But Jesus, uh, um, if you will, challenged Thomas in that, that that blessed are they who believe and have not seen. So the walk of faith that we walk is one that comes by the witness of the Holy Spirit in us. We have been born again, and the Spirit of God, He speaks in our hearts. He, he shows forth that we are able to cry out to our Abba, our Daddy Father, because of the Spirit of God in us, witnessing in us that we are His children. So if you look at this now, and you understand that what Paul is saying to them, Verse 11, he says, you know that we treated each one of you just as a father treats his own children. Now, I don't know what it was like for you growing up, but my earthly father did not treat me very nice. Who can, who's had that kind of testimony, right? Uh, it wasn't very cool. But Paul is talking here, he treated them with gentleness. He treated them with love and he treated them with kindness. And, and in that, um, I think that we're able to draw upon this a lesson for parenting because Paul reflects on just like a father would his children to the Thessalonians, I think we can draw from that a lesson from Paul to parents on how we ought to be with our children. Can you say amen? Paul mentions a few parenting essentials that we draw out very, very clearly in uh, verse um, 12, if you will, right there. He says, we encouraged you, we comforted you, and we kept urging you. For what? What's the objective? To live the kind of life that pleases God, who calls you to share in his own kingdom and glory. You think about the very objective of that is God wants you to share in his kingdom and his glory. Let me throw a few thoughts out here. Is there lack in God's kingdom? Is there lack in God's kingdom, saints? No lack in the kingdom of God, is there? And he wants you to share in that. Is there evil in God's kingdom? No evil in God's kingdom. There's what? Holiness in God's kingdom, and he wants you to share in that. Is there health or sickness in God's kingdom? Health, and he wants you to share in that. And you think of the very word salvation. What does salvation uh, mean? It actually means all the promises of God wrapped up in that word salvation. Health, prosperity, good, not evil. All those things are wrapped up in that term salvation. And when we start thinking about God declaring that he wants us to share in his kingdom and his glory. Now, here's the, here's the other amazing thing about that. When you think about the glory of God, when you think about that, 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 that uh, word glory, the presence, the bright shining presence of God, that when he appears, if you will, when he appears, it says 
that the brightness of his coming, in the brightness of his coming, men will hide their faces. That's not what it's supposed to be like for us, though. We don't hide our faces from God. When he appears in that day, just like I was saying earlier about, man, I just want to see God. You know what the great thing is? Go back to Moses. He wanted to see God's glory. And God said, no man can look upon me and live. That's not the way it will be for us. For us, we will see his coming. And we will welcome that coming. Because we know that we are going where? Home. Now think about that as parents. We have a home. And it's a home. And Paul is clearly defining right here that that home needs to share. The way we raise our kids and the way we... Uh, lead our homes needs to be the kind of household that reflects what God's kingdom and his glory in our homes and how do we produce that kind of home those three things that Paul gives us as essentials for producing that encouraging comforting and urging in the days of the wild west some of you may have heard this before but in the days of the wild west a lone cowboy went riding through the valley and came unexpectedly upon an Indian lying motionless on the road. His right ear was pressed to the ground and he was muttering to himself, um, stagecoach, three people inside, two men, one woman, four horses, three gray, one black, stagecoach moving west. The cowboy was amazed and said, that's incredible, partner. You can tell all that by just listening to the ground? The Indian replied, Um, no, stage run over me 30 minutes ago. <laughs> Look, parenting isn't easy, and sometimes we feel like the stagecoach ran over us. You know, we get to talking to people, and they're like, Man, how do you know that? Because uh, stagecoach ran over me and parenting my kids. You know what I'm saying? Sorry, Wade. You're the... The other two are back serving the children today, so they, they get to be exempt. What's that? You want to go help them? <laughs> you know, the reality is anybody that's been a parent knows that, you know, there's times we just feel like we got run over by a stagecoach in the process of learning how to raise our children, right? We learn some good lessons from our parents that our kids don't want to follow, and we learn some bad lessons from our parents that we emulate, unfortunately. Come on now. Am I getting too close to home? Talk to me this morning. We've been run over by a stagecoach before, and you know what? We need to, to just learn this, that we can recover from it. Why? Because in the kingdom of God, we are called to share in his glory. We're called to share in his promise. And it's a matter of just handing those things over to God. He is the only perfect parent there is. And even being a perfect parent, what did he get? Rebellion in heaven, rebellion in the earth. He had a lot of disobedience that took place, didn't he? But how did God handle that? God handled that by staying the course, if you will, of who he was. He is God. He's not a man that he should lie. See, God stays true to himself. He's a rock that doesn't move. And that's why his word is the only thing we can trust to give us the sure footing we need to be able to parent our families the way he's called us to parent them. Can somebody say amen in the house? <clears throat> Our mission today is to look at these verses and try to learn some things that will help us become a better parent, if you will. First question, what is the chief objective of parenting? Second question, why is it important to know that object, what that objective is? 
It's so that we don't get distracted. So often we can get distracted from what's important because we're not clear on our objective. Why do a man and woman, according to the scriptures, the Bible says that, um, that in marriage, they too become one flesh in marriage, correct? Is that true? Yes. That when a man and a woman come together and they are married, they too become one flesh. The Bible goes on to say the purpose for that is that they might have godly offspring. We become husband and wife so that we can reproduce, if you will. You have four words, write them down. I wasn't sure if I'd bring those in, but I want you to write these down. There's four, four words that would probably define the process, and if you will, the, even the story of the prodigal captures that. We become one flesh that we would reproduce. God, we procreate, if you will, have godly offspring. Well, how do we have godly offspring when our father Adam subjected us to sin nature and the offspring we have have the same sin nature we have? You know, I know we, we, we try to do what? We raise them right. Write that down. Raise them right. Train up a child in the way they should go. When they grow old, they will not depart from it. Key there, when they grow old. Why? Because all men have fallen short of the glory of God. None are without sin. No, not one. And so we need to understand that God has called us as, as parents. And again, reflecting back on this, that first word in verse 12 He's called us to encourage our children. It's vital that we are encouragers when it comes to our children. The Bible speaks about uh, us fathers not exasperating our children or being so overbearing that what happens is, is that it, it, it provokes them to anger. It's so, so vital that, that in the midst of discipline, there's always that encouraging voice that comes in tow. It comes to follow up. You know, you need to do this. I love you. And you can do this. There needs to be that encouragement that it's laced with. So we reproduce, we raise them, we release, release them. I say that because how hard is it to release your kids? How hard is it to just lay them on the altar and give them back to God? It's hard. It's hard to give your children back over to God. Why? Because they live with you. And when they mess up, you got to deal with it, right? But we need to do it anyway. Why? Because... We're stewards. We're stewards to a point, and we have to know the importance of being able to release our kids back to God. And then there's the point where we receive them back. I don't mean that we really lose them, but in a sense, um, you know, we have some children are wayward. Some go off, and you wish they lived near you. Um, you really wish you could receive the grandchildren that you know you want. For some, right? It's like. Why, why haven't you produced a grandchild yet? That's just what I want to know right now. You're married. You've been married for five years. I want to know where my grandbaby is, right? Because I want to receive from what I've poured into you. And God made you one flesh so that you could have godly offspring and I could have a grandchild to bounce on my knee, right? <laughs> you got what I'm saying? But really those things, if you think about the, 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 the parable of the prodigal, when you think about that, what did the father do? He had a son. He raised his son, right? came a point where he's someone to live a certain way, and what did he do? He released him, and he received him back. Isn't that right? And isn't that what we really all do? Isn't that what God did with us? We are here. We are raised, if you will. There's that aspect of, of uh, releasing us. He certainly gives us free will, doesn't he? 
good or bad, we've exercised our free will. But the hope is, and this is why he sent his son into the earth, to seek and to save that which was lost. God wants to receive all his children back to him. And if you think about it, all of the Bible is about one thing, really. It's that objective of sharing in his kingdom and his glory. That's his goal with us. He wants us to be a part of his family. And so what does he do with us? The same thing Paul did with the, the church in Thessalonica is he encourages us, he comforts us, and he urges us to live his way. If you will, a part of that falls under this. I need to get a drink here. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Ephesians 6, 4 in the New Living Translation says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but, excuse me, by the way that you treat them, rather bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Here's what the Living Bible says here. And now a word to you parents. Don't keep on scolding and nagging your children, making them angry and resentful. Rather bring them up with the loving discipline the Lord himself approves with suggestions and godly advice. Now listen, there's a way, fathers, mothers, parents, that we're supposed to discipline our children. Before you kids start getting judgmental about your parents, don't forget the other part of that is honor your mother and father. The first commandment with blessing is to honor your mother and father that it may go well with you. This is the first commandment with blessing. So if you're young in here, you're thinking, yeah, my parents do this and my parents do that. Don't point the finger at your parents. Keep the finger back at yourself. And parents can point the finger at themselves in the midst of this. And we all get to be a little bit better and share in the kingdom and God's glory. Amen? Okay. So, but here's what I want to do. I want to show you um, a video about seven ways to discipline your child. Please shut the lights down. <clears throat> Lights, lights. Can we shut the lights down? Predator and the prey. Armed forces.
pink. I just want to know, have any of you tried one of those? <laughs> Listen to what Proverbs 19:18 says. Discipline your child, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. And then Hebrews 12:11 says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Our primary purpose, if you will, in parenting has to do with our children's relationship with God, and there are some good practical reasons for this besides just obeying God. It's about their relationship with Him. See, both the, the manner of discipline, if you will, and encouragement, it's a balanced act that's going on here. If you think about this passage again in verse 12, see, the encouraged you, we comforted you, and we kept urging you. Under the urging, when you discipline your child, you're really urging them to live for God. That's what's going on. But that urging, that discipline, should never be exempt of comfort and encouragement when you discipline them. You know, when you think about it, when you get corrected, do you like it when a person is hopeful about your future? and speaks in a positive manner about where you can go and what you can do with your life. Absolutely. None of us like to be beat down. You know, it's one thing to, to face your mistakes. It's another thing, if you will, to be beat up for your mistakes. It's vital that we lift people up out of those things because that's why Jesus came to this earth. If you will, when we raise them that way, um, we see our children get right with God it's then that we know that everything else will fall into place. Why? We understand that God is the author and finisher of our faith. That includes our children. He's not just the author and finisher of my faith. He's the author and the finisher of my children's faith as well. When we do that, it makes them a little bit more like Jesus. And when they're a little bit more like Jesus, here's kind of what it looks like. When you, Matthew 16, I'll, I'll give you these references and you can go look them up this week. It'd be great to read them. <clears throat> and I can I actually post this on Facebook, the church Facebook as well. He was secure in his identity, Matthew 16, 13 through 20. He knew he was loved by his father, Matthew 3, 17. His positive sense of self, he did have a positive sense of himself, but it was not derived from self gave him the ability to withstand criticism, Matthew 26, 6 through 10. He was always being attacked and criticized by Pharisees. <laughs> but you know what? He had great confidence because he knew the one that he was following. He, he said he only did what he saw the Father doing. Therefore, he wasn't worried about what other people thought. He was only concerned about pleasing the Father. If we teach our kids that, I promise you, if we teach our kids, to only be concerned about bringing honor to God and sharing in his kingdom and his glory, 
They're not going to be moved a whole lot by what other people have to say to them, those outside influences, if you will. <clears throat> his positive sense of self allowed him to relate to those less fortunate rather than just building his image by relating only to the rich and powerful. That's Mark uh, 2, 15 through 17. It's very important to, to recognize that you know Jesus uh, was not moved by outer appearance. Jesus was moved only by what the Father was doing. He felt competent and equipped by his Father to do what he needed to do, Matthew 28, 18. He could love others because he was secure in the love of his Father, John 15, 9. His relationship with his Father gave him purpose in life, Luke 2, 48 through 50. He knew he belonged to the Father, John 10, 30 and 17, 21. You know, there's just something about your identity. When you know who you belong to, there's very little confusion in life. If you're not sure who you belong to, then it's easy to get distracted and begin to follow people who influence you to deviate from God's call and will for your life. He was affirmed by his father, Matthew 3.17. I think the most important thing that we can look at is if you think about comfort and you think about urging, can you turn my mic down a little? I've got a ring up here. When you think about comfort and you think about urging, I would say that both of them are tied to encouragement. When you discipline your kids, is there you're trying to encourage them to go the right way through discipline, correct? When you comfort them, is that not, in a sense, encouraging them that whatever they're going through, whatever, whatever difficulty they're facing, is what, what's comfort normally given for? Comfort is normally given for hard situations. When you urge your child, it's because they need to make right decisions, if you will. But bridging both of those, if you will, you, sometimes you're, you're, you're trying to lift them up out of a slump. Other times you're trying to get them to make better decisions. And in that, the one thing that it needs to be laden with is encouragement so that you don't lose your connection with your children. It's easy to, to cause that connection to break down when you exasperate them or you, you, you provoke them to anger and you make them resent you. I know I've done it. I'll be honest enough to say that I've done, done it quite a few times, you know, in a night when I'm tired or something, you know, uh, you know, bad grades brought home or, come on, somebody, don't leave me up here alone. <laughs> you know, and it's like, what are you thinking, man? You know, and, and, and it's kind of that whole thing of, if you will, we're tired, we work, we, we've got chores at home, we've got all those things going on, and it's like, we just don't want another thing on our plate. But I promise you, the most important thing on your plate is how you raise your kids. So in those times, and I know I've shared this before, when I fail with my children, it, it's something that I've, I've put into practice that, you know what, I make sure I bend my knee in front of them. See, I bring myself low in front of them in moments where I've not been, you know, as godly as I should be. I've not exhibited that Christian example. I've not been like Paul here, just as a father treats his own children. Well, how does a father treat his children? My father didn't treat me well. So that example didn't exist for me 
on this earth. But when I go to the Word, I see a heavenly Father that had every right to just banish all of us and instead gave His only begotten Son, the only one that was ever obedient in everything He did, the only one that ever did any, every, oh, excuse me, ever did everything right is the one He gave to die so that He could gain all of us as children. That's the kind of love we need to show to our children so that they're not in that place of feeling like if I fail, I can't approach my parent. You know, that's a lot of times what happens is that, that failure and fear are what calls them to run away. Disappointing us causes them to draw away. And then young people, also rebellion is at work within that too. You want to do your own thing and you don't want to listen to your parents and it's important to listen to your parents. But it's a mutual, it's a mutual thing that takes place, if you will. God gives his son to die on a cross and that if we recognize that, we come into a relationship with him and it's a free gift, nothing we had to earn. But once we've received that free gift, he asks us to be disciples. I already used that term. It means a disciplined one. Is that God's work or ours? We need to discipline ourselves to follow the Lord, especially as parents, because God brought us together uh, as husband and wife so that we would have godly offspring. And to have godly offspring, we need to set an example of what it is to be in a relationship with God that is real and genuine, and they see his presence, and they see our love for God's word. When they see that, it will inspire them to want that. Maybe not all the time. There may be those moments where they want to go off and do their own thing, but once they've tasted that and recognized that, you know what, that the world's promises are empty as all can be. I really do want what my parents have. You raise them up in the way they should go. When they grow old, they won't depart from it. And what is old? Is old defined by physical age? No, old is defined by when the lessons learned. And when they come to that place of the wisdom of the ancient of days. And even a child has that. Here's the funny thing. We could go back here and listen to these little kids talk about Jesus. I promise you they're not back there talking about, you know, I was talking with Joshua the other day. We were down the basement, talking about isms, if you will. We were talking about uh, pantheism and what was that last one? Panentheism. And uh, yeah, we adults get so smart, we start talking about all these other things, and the reality is, is you must become like a child to inherit what? You must become like a child to share in his own kingdom and glory. It's that simple. A genuine faith in Christ is something that's contagious to all. The only thing that keeps us outside being inspired by that is that we think we know so much. And in reality, there's only one thing that's important, and that's to know the love of God. To know that God is for you, and he's not against you. And no matter where you're at in life, no matter where you're at in your walk, no matter the mistakes you made, God is a loving father that's there looking to encourage you He's looking to what? Comfort you. And he's going to urge you to follow him. 
Remember, the Word of God is good for reproof, correction, and what? And instruction. Kind of see it as a flip on this. There's two things that are really, really positive. One thing that's like, look, I'm going to urge you to do the right thing. And the Word of God is good for reproof, correction, and instruction. The instruction is what we like. Correction and reproof is not a fun thing. Come on, somebody say amen. It doesn't feel good, does it? Chastisement of the Lord does not feel good right now. It, it, it's not pleasing right now. But afterward, it will yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So to kind of um, touch on that word encouragement, here's what it means. The word, if you will, means uh, parakaleo. Where have you heard something similar to that recently? Parakaleo. What was that? The Holy Spirit, which is the paraclete, right? The helper. Parakaleo, encouragement, right? If you will, does encouragement help you? I know it helps me. Encouragement really lifts me up. It can lift me up out of a bad day. It can lift me up out of a bad decision. Amen? But I still have to have a right course to proceed on. That's why it's so important to be urged. But with that positive, you know, I don't see God as that supernatural killjoy in heaven that's just waiting to slap us when we get out of line. Does anybody see God that way? Because some people see God that way. They see God as a mean bully in heaven. What, what was the one? I can't remember that. Uh, God's a mean bully in heaven with a magnifying glass, and I'm the ant on the hill. Is that Bruce Almighty? Y'all see Bruce Almighty? He's like, God's a, 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 a mean bully up in heaven, and I'm the ant on the ant hill, and he's got a magnifying glass, and he's burning my legs off. <laughs> you know, That's not who God is. God is a loving God. The first and, and, and most important revelation that we must get is God is a loving God. And if he wasn't, he never would have gave his most prized relationship, his son, to die on that cross. He gave him because he wanted more family. He gave him because he wanted godly offspring. He gave him that there might be a reproduction of godly family that would share in his kingdom and his glory. That's what's really cool about this. When you think about uh, sharing, as a husband and wife, do you share? As kids, you got brothers and sisters, do you share? Is it easy to share or is it hard to share? When you think about the creator of the universe has chosen to share his kingdom, and this is what's interesting about this New Testament passage. But the Bible says in the Old Testament, God will share his glory with no one. I find it an amazing thing that as his children, he invites us up to share in his glory. Now, we don't become God. Clear statement. But how amazing is it that he gets to share or we get to share in his glory? Here's kind of what that's like. Wade really doesn't have a problem coming and saying, hey, Dad, can I get some money? Right? I go work hard, get my paycheck. Y'all know what that's like, right? You bring your paycheck home, and it's like, that's the glory of all the hard work I did, <laughs> you know? is the fact that I went and I worked, and I got something from that, right? Because, you know, pretty important. I mean, you know, if it's not important, then go to your boss this week and say, hey, you know, I don't ever want to be paid again. <laughs> now you feel the importance of it, right? It's kind of like, yeah, that is the glory of my work, <laughs> you know, is that I receive for what I'm putting out. 
But, but this is what God is uh, showing us in this passage. We share in all that is his. We don't get it all. The earth is the Lord's, is the fullness thereof. Everything is God's. It's all his. But what the amazing thing is, he's like, hey, I want to share this with you. Now, if that's not an amazing, loving father, I don't know what is. Wade calls me the other night, Dad, I want to go bowling with my friend. I'm like, okay. He goes, oh, by the way, I need some cash. Wade doesn't have a problem sharing in my glory, and he knows he can come. <laughs> Here's what's interesting about that, though. I urged Wade that if he wanted that money and wanted to go do that, that it would be important for him to finish his chores. You understand? It is, I want to bless him, but he has responsibility. I'm going to urge him, right, to do what's right. Does that make sense? But I want to do that in a sense of humor. And we, we cut up all the time, don't we? It's, it's, it's really been one of the things my kids love about me the most. I'm an intense guy. Would you all agree I'm an intense guy? I'm an intense guy. I'm intense with my children, too. And, and uh, it's like, this is the way we're going to live, and there's no choice in that matter. Now, when you get old enough, you want to go choose to live another way? Excuse me. Then you may experience what that's like, and you'll find out real quick why I held that line and had a standard in my home is because we are going to serve the Lord, and there is no debate over that. You all understand Abraham's the father of our faith. You all understand God said about Abraham, when he called Abraham and chose Abraham, he said this, for I know him. God knew Abraham. I know him. He'll command his children after him. He'll request his children after him. He'll ask them if they want to go that way. No, he'll command his children after him. I command my children after me, but I love my children. And so I'll get to cutting up and having fun with them and, and playing around. And they talk about, they love it when I get, what's the word you guys use? Um, um, can't even think of how they say it. It's like, uh, Dad, I love it when you're silly. And I've had some folks over and interacted with my family. Uh, matter of fact, one of the girls that work in the daycare, I don't know if she's in here today, but uh, is it Jackie was over there, right? And she was over at the house, and she's sitting over on the couch, and I'm cutting up and messing around with the kids. And uh, she sees me here in, in boss mode and, you know, pastor mode and all that, and I'm serious. I got a lot going on. And she's sitting there, and I'm just cutting up and playing around. I think Wade and I were playing around. And then Angie and I got to, like, you know, we just have this playful after 20, going to 23 years. June 5th will be 23 years, a couple weeks. And... Uh, we still kind of play like little teenagers, just, you know, I don't know what it is. I just, you know, we love each other, and it just comes out. And uh, you just kind of all of a sudden look up, and she's over there like. <laughs> I'm like, are you okay? She goes, yeah, it's just so cute the way you guys interact. It's, it's just adorable. And, and I've never seen you this way. I'm like, you probably won't at work, you know. <laughs> but uh, in my home, right, there's that playfulness. Very important to be playful with your family. Yeah, but you don't know what they're doing right now, and you don't know the mistakes they made, and you don't know how they did this and how. You know what? You might gain a little more influence by making that connection rather than continuing to push them away through anger because they've not done the right thing. Step over to some encouragement, and you might gain the ability to find out what's going on in their life. It may open up. You may discover that you need to comfort them because there's some things that's happened that's, that's fractured their hearts. It's put them in a state of need. And then out of that, because I've discovered it in those times, 
that's when it's happened. And all, you know, Dad, and they start spilling, and I'm going, dang, I didn't know that. I did not know that. And I feel like a failure as a father that things can be going on inside of them and I don't know. But the reality, it's not that I'm a failure. It's just that parenting is so darn hard. Parenting is hard. It's like getting run over by a stagecoach. You know what I'm saying? And you're in that moment. And it's just important to reflect back on how, how uh, needful it is to be encouraging in your children's life so they don't put, feel provoked to anger. But rather what they do is they make that connection so that you can urge them to follow the Lord and they can share in his, in his kingdom and glory. I have another clip just to kind of show you the silliness and we got it. You know, I, I really don't know a time when my kids were babies that I'm like, you stupid child, you know. I've never done that as adults either, but, you know, it's, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you don't, it's like, you know, can you see a one-year-old and you're like, what are you thinking? You, you know, it's crazy, right? Just doesn't make sense. Well, here's the deal. It doesn't make sense as they get older either. Would you agree? Watch this clip and see how we knew when they were infants to connect with our children and be silly and make them laugh and have that bond so that we had the ability to impart with them. All I got to say, if I had quads, I'd be going, blah, 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 too. <laughs> okay, listen to this, and we'll close. Uh, four things I want to give you. Number one, we encourage our children with our presence. You know, Paul the Apostle shared in Acts uh, 28 and 15 that he'd been in prison for three years. He'd recently survived the shipwreck and, and arrived in Rome. And there was a point where Paul says that the, these men came to visit him. And he says, at the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. You know, it is important to be present in our children's lives. We encourage with our touch. Very, very important to have that sense of touch. It, it creates an intimacy. I'm just going to say this here. When you get touched by God, and you sense his touch, are you not encouraged? It's the most encouraging thing. I read his word, and I feel challenged most of the time. But when I sense his presence, and I feel his touch, I'm very, very encouraged. And we encourage with God's word. Listen to this as some examples. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope, a hope and a future, Jeremiah 29, 11. God is able to do far more than we could ever ask or even dream of, uh, if you will, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes, Ephesians 3.20. In everything you do, put God first, and he will direct you and crown your efforts with success, Proverbs 3.6. If you insist on saving your life, you will lose it. Only those who throw their lives away for my sake and for the good news, will ever know what it means to really live. Mark 8.35 Know in all these things, troubles, hardships, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Romans 8.37 I don't know about you, 
But see, those are some of the most important verses in my life, and they've encouraged me so many times. But the Bible's full of them. Get in the Word and find those scriptures that you can speak over your children's lives in those moments. Some of the greatest times I've had um, with my kids has been when they're coming and they're talking about something they're going through at school, a relationship that's going bad, somebody said this about them. And it's like when they're talking about it, it's like because I have the word in me, it's like the Holy Spirit will bring that to remembrance. And I'm like, you know what? Get your Bible. Why don't you read this? And I remember Wade one time, he went up, I had him read a psalm because he had a friend slandering him and just treating him bad. You remember that? And I, I said, you know, read this psalm. He goes upstairs and he reads it. He comes back down and says, man, this is like everything I'm going through. <laughs> and it so encouraged him to stay his course in the midst of all those things. So we encourage our children with the word. And finally, we encourage our children with our words. And I'm going to challenge you to do this. Something I've done in, in good times and in difficult times, write a letter to your kids. Write a letter to your child. Tell them what you think of them. Talk about the, even the challenges, you can talk about it, but don't just talk about it in a sense, don't, don't be accusative in the way you talk to them about it, but talk about then in the sense of their struggles and their battles and what they're going through, this is the hope that I see in you. You know, because Danielle's back there, you all, most of you are very aware she's walked through a tough season and it's not a matter of wanting to bring that back up, but it is a matter of that's, you know, that's one of the stagecoaches in my life. But you know, the lesson I learned through that is she's an adult and I'm still treating her like a kid. You know, and you learn lessons and you grow through them. Parents and children. And I know the one day, uh, in a couple weeks, you all remember Pastor James Marty is going to be here, and he was down for a visit. And I remember processing through all of that and just being in that place of like, you know, um, you know, as a pastor, it's like you start thinking about your embarrassment and you start thinking about what people think of you. And, and it's like you, got, you just kind of got to process through all that and get to that place of like, God, what do you think of me? Because if I focus on what everybody else thinks of me, it's only going to make matters worse, you know, in myself. You know, it's my responsibility here at the church is to, to be a pastor, a shepherd, to care for the flock, if you will, to be a steward for the Heavenly Father and for the Good Shepherd and to care for the flock of God. So I don't have a lot of time to get confused you know, when you're talking about from this Sunday to this Sunday, if I got life's issues, I kind of need to deal with them a little bit before I get up here in the pulpit. Would you all say amen to that? I get up here and be angry about things and unforgiving, and, and I'm going to talk to you about following the Word of God. That doesn't work. So I got to deal with my stuff as I go, period, or I don't want to be up here. And so, and that's always been my thing, right, is going to the Lord and saying, you got to help me with this because I don't want to stand before your people and be your spokesperson, and then live a lie. I want to live a true life that follows Christ and ups and downs that can be an example. And so I remember specifically when I was speaking to Danielle because sometimes failure for people can, can be overwhelming. And one thing came to my mind, the scriptures that were pouring into my heart that morning in my, my devotional time, the Lord began to speak to me. He said, you know, you need to say this to your daughter, this to your daughter, this to your daughter. 
And so I'm kind of doing that, and then, you know, I went and worked out, and I got on the elliptical with my iPad, and, and James was down here, so he went with me, and I was chatting with him a little bit about, you know, going through that. And, and uh, I'm sitting over there on the elliptical typing this letter to Danielle. And I just start bawling like a baby. <laughs> just <laughs> typing it out. And I could see him out of the corner of my eye. You know, he knew what was going on. I told him I was writing a letter to her. And he's over there on that lift, just going for broke, kind of looking over. And um, I just, I, you know, I didn't pay attention. I just kept going. And it was just flowing out of me, writing this letter. And imagine my surprise when <laughs> God prompts me, use the Lion King. What? I'm typing it like, you know, I start talking about the story of the Lion King and how Simba, you know, his father, you know, was killed and Scar convinces him that, you know, he killed his father. And that's the way the devil works with, you know, our mistakes or sin, if you will, is what he wants to do is convince you. And, and it's kind of true because, if you will, we did hang Jesus on a cross, didn't we? But remember who introduced sin into this world? That was the devil. And so I'm going through this thing, typing it out. And just so you know, I had no idea how that would impact her life. But God did. It was an encouragement to her, see? I used that, that illustration, that story, and I'm writing a letter from my heart to my daughter. That in the midst of that, what happens is, is God, God just covered that with his grace. Do you know how many times when she was a little kid, we just watched that video with the dad with her children? That kid, I'm telling you, Daddy, Daddy, let's go watch Lion King. Like the 50th time, honey. You really, can we pick a different movie? No, no, watch Lion King, Lion King, Lion King. Oh, my God. I can quote the whole stinking movie, you know. It's like Mufasa. <laughs> if you've seen it, you understand that. The hyenas laugh. <laughs> say it again, say it again, you know. Right? Those who've seen it know exactly what I'm talking about. That movie, I'm telling you, it's impressed right there. Little did I know, Daniel watched Lion King that week. Two days prior to getting the letter, she watched Lion King. And it spoke to her heart. It resonated. And in a sense, that letter, my word to my daughter, married with the Lord's word, in a sense, became, if you will, a lifeline of rescue. It became the encouragement. Where did my scripture go? became the encouragement and the comfort and allowed me to urge her, if you will, to press toward sharing in the kingdom of God and in his glory. I didn't know how I would share this today, but you know, I want it to be an honoring thing, and it's kind of like you. And I want to say to the congregation, the hard thing about pastoring and about your kids being pastor's kids is their lives are on display and they can't like maybe process. The hard thing about things happening between your kids and somebody else's kids is, you know, I either resign my position and leave or, you know, sometimes it feels uncomfortable. And, and um, but parent, parents need to do what they need to do with their kids to make sure they're going to follow God, to urge them, to encourage them, to comfort them. And so, although I hate to close on a low note today, in a sense, it's, it, it, it has that aspect of, of high note as well. 
But, you know, Danny and Tanya, you know, and Jeremiah felt they needed to leave and, and pursue fellowship in, in another place. And, and um, you know, we support them in that decision. We're saddened by it, but we do support them in that decision. Um, you know, I don't know what to say except for, you know, they need to do what they feel they need to do as a family and, and continue to pursue God. That's all I really care about. People will come, they'll attend, there'll be times where it's, you know, um, exciting, and then there's times, you know, they may feel let on or something happens and they feel that it's too difficult to, to deal with in that body, but they're not walking away from the Lord, they're continuing to pursue the Lord, so that's a good thing. Can you say amen to that? And so it's with sadness and at the same time with hope for the future that um, I simply say that uh, we are to bless, we're to speak uh, good and not evil in any situation. Sometimes we can get frustrated or upset that, well, I don't understand why they would do that, but, you know, that's not what the Bible calls us to do. The Bible really calls us to live a life that is above reproach. Um, it's not meant to, to be a life that's filled with gossip or slander and those kind of things. It's meant to be a life where we encourage people to live for God. So my words for them is that they live a life that's pleasing to God because that's the only one they need to be concerned about pleasing, and it's the same for us. He's the only one we need to be concerned about pleasing. And so on this day, kind of in that role as, you know, uh, the pastor and, and steward of the body, it's important to talk about kind of like what we do. We parent, you know, we try to help people grow up in the things of God. And, uh, you know, things get difficult in that too. Um, but I just encourage you not to let it be something that causes your hearts to be heavy as much as it does hopeful for them and for the church, you know, for all of us on where, where things can go from here with God's hand upon it. Could you say amen to that? And so uh, let me close with prayer. Heavenly Father, you know, I, I just so thank you that you are a God that, that encourages us, Lord, that you are a God that always lifts us up. Lord, I, I, my favorite, one of my favorites, Jeremiah 29, your thoughts toward us, Lord, they are of good and not of evil. Lord, to give us a future and a hope, an intended end, and God, that word end, so many times I've shared that, that it, it, the word study reveals that it, one of the words is procrastinate. And there's an element, God, you'll procrastinate your promise over us until we are in alignment with you. And so, Father, I pray that if there be anything that go on in our hearts this uh, day and through the rest of the week, is, Lord, that we would meditate upon this area of Scripture and that we would recognize what Paul was saying in that uh, is an example of how you are to us. Paul was to the church, and God, we are meant to be as parents to our own children. And I pray, God, that our families would be enriched as a result of following your word and God walking in your love. I thank you for this congregation, their love for you, their dedication to one another. And Lord, I ask your blessings on each and every one of them as we go today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all. Have a great week.